Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome to Lake Kick is Live. It is Thursday night, November 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2022. The biggest conundrum in college football in 2022 has nothing whatsoever to do with the playoff. We are jam-packed high atop a temperate downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Sunny and 77 degrees today. I've got upset alerts tonight. The upset alert meter is kind of ping, ping, pinging all over the place. We'll talk about several games. I've got more games to predict. I'm going to get you some Notre Dame Clemson love tonight, some Florida A&M love tonight. Believe it or not, not every game has to have a playoff backdrop for it to matter. I've got an ethics bomb that is going to divide our entire community just a few minutes away. If you follow me on socials, you already know what I'm talking about. No answers have been arrived at. No conclusions have been drawn yet. Pull out your fan and go ahead and start fanning yourself for this one. Also, I've got several best bets. We're already 2-0. The Ramen Noodle Express, it's only Thursday. We're already 2-0 this week. They're watching us in Akron, Ohio, Cave Spring, Georgia, Humble, Texas. The H is silent. And Ruston, or Ruskin, Florida. Could be a Rustin down there too. We are at 143,000 subs on the YouTube channel. Basically, every time I talk to you, we've added another one to 2,000 subs. First thing we wanted to do was we wanted to get to 150K by New Year's. Then we adjusted to Christmas. Then we briefly adjusted to my parents' anniversary, which is mid-December. Uh, Colin thinks we can get there by Thanksgiving. And by there, I mean 150,000 subs. You're doing your part. I asked you to just sub and like and we can keep all of this free, I think we're well on our way. So 150,000 subs, that's where we want to get. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your aunts, tell everyone. The next door neighbor, they probably like college football. At the very least, they have internet. So let's get that done. I appreciate you guys so much for doing that. The Thursday show, we normally go all over the place, right? And we're, boy, we're going to do that tonight. So buckle in. We got a fun one for you. Upset alert meter. We got games all over the place happening this week. You got two really big ones, right? You got Tennessee and Alabama going on the road and Tennessee versus Georgia and Alabama versus LSU. And yet there is a strong undercurrent of games out there that, of course, aren't on the playoff radar, the national radar. Therefore, they don't matter. Well, they matter very much around here because some of them could bring upsets that shake up that precious playoff picture everyone wants to talk about on Tuesday. 
but I'm going to get to some games that are just big for other reasons. The upset alert meter, scale of 1 to 10, how much should the favorite be on alert here? Liberty at Arkansas. What would you guess the line was on this game? Arkansas's favored by two touchdowns at home. This is, let's just, let's not kid ourselves. This is an open job audition, again, for Hugh Freeze. There are some jobs coming open. You're going to hear his name in and around the Auburn opening. Uh, there's some chatter around West Virginia, if it were to come open, which it's not yet. But Hugh Freeze and Liberty, the head coach there for now, going on the road. They're a two-touchdown dog. The Liberty defense, how much can you attack them? Well, they're third in FBS in sacks per game. They are seventh in FBS in takeaways. Translation, I think Kendall Browse may run the ball 50 times this weekend. Now, they have a decent run defense statistically at Liberty. I think Sam Pittman and his team will simply look across the field and say they can't hold up against us for four quarters. And I think he's right. And the other thing that we know to be the way to attack Arkansas is through the air. And Liberty just doesn't possess that offense this year. You may not have watched them. They don't have that quick strike through the air kind of vertical pass game that in some years they've had under Hugh Freeze. So I'm going to put this at a five. It's a formidable opponent. I think formidable enough where Arkansas will take them seriously. So I'm going to say it's a five on the upset alert meter. Moving on. Game we already talked about. Our full Tennessee-Georgia preview is on the channel. It's about to pass 100,000 views, by the way. We will be in Sanford Stadium. We will be on the sideline for this game. And although I do this every week, I want you to rest assured of many things. We don't ever get used to this around here. And I will never take that stuff for granted. I don't care if you put me on the top row of the stadium because I know a lot of you are spending a lot of money in some cases that you don't have just to get in this thing. So uh, the fact that we get to do what we do is really incredible. It's also why you don't ever catch us calling what we do work. So that's not work. We get to do for a job what most people would do for fun. Let's look at the number 30 in this game. The number 30. What does that mean? Jesse walks in and he, he, he said, paper pop, paper pop. There, there you go, Jesse. There's your authentic paper pop. He said, let me tell you about the number 30. Tennessee, 30-plus 30 points, their last 11 games. I said, that's impressive, Jesse. I know they can score, though. He said, hold on. He put his index finger to my lips. Shh, not done yet. And I said, Jesse, wash your hands. And he said, listen to me. Georgia, 22 of their last 23 games have held the opposition under 30 points. Of course, the one being the game that I would look at if I were Tennessee as a blueprint to beat Georgia, and that was the SEC championship game last year. So the number 30, something's got to give there, right? Georgia favored by eight, even as we sit here on this Thursday night. People swore to me Monday and Tuesday, guys. People swore to me, ooh, that line's not going to stay above seven for very long. Well, maybe you're right, but it's still there now. So everyone who's ultra confident in Tennessee money line, go ahead and grab those points while you're at it. Is a fast start imperative? for Tennessee. Is it imperative? I was talking to Jake Rowe, who doesn't work here anymore. I don't know if I'm supposed to mention his name, but I was talking to Jake Rowe today, and we were kind of just tossing some thoughts back and forth about how we think the game's going to go. And I talked about the fast start that Tennessee had against Alabama, of course. And then sometimes what you can forget is there was a 25-6 to Alabama run baked into that game. But it had to be there because Tennessee got the big lead. So you look at Georgia. And I know there, there's an anonymous coach feature they do on ESPN.com where some anonymous coach 
said he wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee hangs 50 on Georgia. Georgia's just not fast enough. Those receivers are going to run by that secondary all day. Hats off to him if they do. Hats off to him. I think there is a very decent chance that Tennessee wins this game and pulls the upset. I've got Georgia winning the game close, but if they don't achieve the fast start here, I really wonder if, if it's in the cards for Tennessee to hit their stride in the second or third quarter. Because I think far more likely for them to pull the upset is a scenario similar to the Alabama game where they jump out ahead and then you trade punches and then you're there in the end and hopefully you can make some big plays. But we talked a lot about a Tennessee fast start the other night. What if it's Georgia 13 to nothing, 14 to nothing early on? You're certainly not out of the game, but if they can work you through that script and they got home field at their back, it's a, an infinitely tougher challenge. Having said that, I'm putting a nine on this game. The upset alert meter is pegged. This is the toughest game for Georgia all year. It's the most unique challenge all year. Thought it was pretty interesting, not surprising, but interesting listening to Kirby earlier this week talk about how they were prioritizing conditioning all the way back in the summer because of this game. And he admitted a lot of the games we have not needed it like we will in this game. But if you go back and you watch a number of teams that Tennessee's played, but the Bama game's the most high profile, it's so crazy what sucking wind a little bit in the third or fourth quarter does. Just, it doesn't take much, guys. It takes one guy not fitting the gap the right way. It takes you being one step late. It takes your eyes getting lazy for a split second. And Jalen Hyatt goes 60 yards to the end zone. Because even though it seems like those are small margins, they lead to such big differences in the outcome of a game. And yet you've got Schumann up there and you've got Kirby Smart, obviously, as the head coach. And you've got Will Muschamp just kind of hanging out in Athens. So there are a lot of really good defensive minds up there. I'm interested to see what they throw at Tennessee. They know what the challenge is. So I'm putting a nine on that one. It's the closest, it's the most threatened Georgia should be all year, at least as we sit here pregame. Florida State plays Miami Saturday. I cannot wait, friends, for us to get down the road a little ways and that be one of the feature games of this weekend. It's rightful place, by the way, judging by history, as being one of the feature games of the weekend. As we sit here now, it's a 5-3 and three team against a 4-4 four and four team. I was checking out InsideTheU.com earlier today, and David Lake had an interesting update on the quarterback situation from Miami. Earlier in the week, it didn't look like Tyler Van Dyke was going to be able to go. And Mario Cristobal's been giving updates about him the last couple of weeks. He's been injured. He's been out. Well, now they're optimistic. As we've gotten a little bit later in the week, closer to the game, uh, David Lake said, and a lot of people around that program are echoing the sentiment that it looks like they're going to try and give it a go with Tyler Van Dyke, which obviously leads to the new set of questions of what kind of caliber quarterback play are we going to get from Miami. I can tell you the model loves Florida State here. And I'm not totally sure we won't end up betting them. Uh, but I would prefer for you to tune into Friday Night Lines to see if we're going to bet them because we're not going to do it tonight. There's a seven and a half sitting out there right now as the consensus line. So it makes no sense for us to lay that right now, especially if I'm on the fence about the game. We do have several best bets coming later, but that's not one of them tonight. Miami's won four of the last five here. FSU, I think, is just, they are a significantly better team or they have been so far this year. Now, if you get some sudden spark with Tyler Van Dyke coming back, Anything's in play. I mean, this is a game where clearly there's no superior, clearly superior squad, so anything's in play. I'm going to say this is a six. Florida State's favored by seven and a half. It's on the road at Miami. I'm going to say it's a six on the upset alert scale. 
Clearly, it's in the cards there. And think about what that would mean for Miami. You've got a 4-4 four and four team right now. They've, they've felt dead in the water. If they were to beat Florida State, all of a sudden, that's like taking the, the, the shock panels to the chest of that team. Not the program, but the team. And all of a sudden, then they're 5-4, and four, and they've got Georgia Tech next week. They could get bowl eligible before they go to Clemson and then play Pitt to end the year. So it would be a huge upset for a number of reasons for Miami. The last one I wanted to touch on is a game that we've also already broken down, and it's Bama LSU. Bama right now is favored by 13 and a half, and all I've been told all week is how it's a lot of points. Now, I told you the other night, I think it's a really bad matchup for LSU. I feel that way still. And I got a hat tip our friends over on Go 24-7. The LSU fan base has been one of the best fan bases in the world to us. And I mean long before I got to CBS and 24-7. Back when we were doing this thing independent, back in 2018 and 2019, in Columbus, Georgia. There was no reason for the LSU fan base to adopt us, and yet they did. And so I've, I've always had a very, very special place, like a little, a little purple splotch in my heart for LSU. Having said that, when you pick against LSU normally, those folks rip you to pieces. And... Yet, I go over to the Go 24-7 board earlier today, and there is a two- to three-page deep thread showing our prediction video from the other night where I picked Alabama to win and cover against LSU. There wasn't one negative comment. Not one. Almost to the point where I worry, are they pulling too many punches over there? Which is very unlike our friends over on the Go 24-7 board. So, guys, it's okay to take shots. In fact, I would... Just for my own amusement and sanity, I wish you'd take a couple of shots at me. Just do it so I can feel better about myself. I'm going to put a 4.25 on the upset alert meter here. Why? Even though I don't like the matchup, who cares? I didn't like the matchup against Texas, and Texas almost beat Bama. So we got Bama going on the road, which is its own set of obstacles these days, as it turns out. And I will continue to say that until we see otherwise as we show highlights from a video of, well, from a game where they kind of pulled away against Arkansas. But we remember very recently several examples where they've been shaken on the road. You know what the most forgotten game in the world has been with all these big teams is the LSU game last year with Alabama. Not doing the comparative thing. One year doesn't matter relative to the next one. But last year, I want you to keep in mind, Alabama, as it turns out, is en route to a season that will see them win the SEC championship, go to the playoff and beat Cincinnati, and then lead Georgia again in the fourth quarter of the national title game. They almost got beat by LSU. LSU had the ball in plus territory last year in Tuscaloosa with a chance to win. And this is already after they've announced Orgeron's going to be fired. I mean, they've got like, what, 40 to 45, 50 scholarship players left. I mean, they were, they were a team that had no business whatsoever competing. The line was in like the four-touchdown range, and yet there's LSU, just like inexplicably, with an opportunity to win the game. The reason I'm mentioning that is not because I'm necessarily taking anything from that game last year to this game this year. I'm just saying, if that corpse of a team that limped to the finish line last year could push Bama to the wire in Tuscaloosa, absolutely this can happen. I don't need to have a path. I know they had to run the ball worth anything. I know it's not a good matchup. I know that pass rush should harass Jaden Daniels all night. I know all of these things. But yet, I've also said, I think I know some things about Bama in these road spots in the past couple of years. 
and we've ended up being wrong because they just haven't been a disciplined and dominant unit on the road. One of those has to come before the other. So I'm going to put a, you know what, Jesse, I'm going to go higher. I'm going to go five. It's a five on the upset alert meter. It's going to be well worth watching. And also, you know me, I keep up with the weather so you don't have to. A 100% chance of thunderstorms in Baton Rouge this Saturday. Here could be the saving grace. First off, it's a fact, it never rains in Tiger Stadium. That's undeniable. Um, in the second and more real sense, it looks like some of that action could get out of there before game time. But you better cross your fingers, because I'm not just talking about heavy rain. I'm talking about the kind of convective activity that could maybe delay your game. So let's push all that out, just all of us together, so that maybe you have some, some scattered showers and storms that you can find a bubble to work a game in in between later that night. Huge weekend in college football. All right, there, Colin, there's your out. And then also, huge weekend in Houston, Texas. I had one of you send me a screenshot today of your, not an iJosh, because they only make one of them, but it was your iPhone, and there was a screenshot of your alarm clocks. And you had your school and you know, your work schedule, but someone sent me a screenshot of their alarm clock, and it was already set for Saturday, and it said Academy Grand Opening in Houston. That's dedication that is chalice of supremacy worthy. Chalai of supremacy will be on the line Saturday. You can't buy them anywhere. We, you could offer me a billion dollars. I'd probably cave. But if you only offered me a million, I'm not giving you a chalice of supremacy. You got to earn them. And if you go to the grand opening in Houston, 8715 West Loop South, Academy Sports and Outdoors opening a new location in, in uh, the Houston area this weekend, and you prove to me you were there, I'll take a screenshot of a receipt. I'll take pictures of you in the parking lot. I don't care if you sit in a buggy and someone pushes you up and down the aisle. Management may, but I don't care. You send it to me, and 10 of you are going to have a chalice of supremacy sent to you. Academy Sports and Outdoors, our one and only partner. We are exclusive. It's totally monogamous. We don't mess around with other brands around here. I won't even tell you which brand of liquid is in my chalice here of supremacy. Why? Because Academy doesn't make drinks. And so that's not from Academy. That's just, that's old store-bought um, questionable liquids that we put in the chalice of supremacy. But as for Academy Sports and Outdoors, they help us out immensely. They make this entire thing possible. They make this entire thing free. We get to present it however we want to you. And so even if you're not in Houston, check them out this weekend. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com is your hookup. Thank you. Eternally grateful for our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors. I'm going to be in Athens. I'm headed down there tomorrow. I will have Academy gift cards with me. So do not hesitate to walk up, shake my hand, ask me how I'm doing, and then ask for one because chances are I'll have some in my pocket. Did you know Clemson plays Notre Dame this Saturday night? Did you know the line is three and a half? Clemson's undefeated. This is not a two or three loss team. This is not some team that has been cast into college football's ditch over here and better luck next year, guys. They are smack dab in the middle of the playoff hunt and according to odds makers out there, got a real shot to lose this weekend against five and three Notre Dame. What do we make of this? Clemson's coming off a bye, by the way, and yet here they are. I know you're confused by that line. I know you're a little confused, and the fact that it hasn't shot up this week, a lot of you are puzzled, dare I say perturbed. Notre Dame's faced three ranked teams this year. They are 2-1 and one straight up and 3-0 and oh against the spread against those teams. A ray of sunshine 
And then here comes the cloud to cover up all the sun. Notre Dame 0-4 against the spread at home. This game will be played in South Bend. Rumor on the street is quite a few Clemson Tigers are making the drive up there. If you could afford this ticket, be real, you're probably flying. But I expect a, a healthy portion, a smattering, more than just a smattering of orange and white around the crowd there. The last time we saw Clemson, what was happening? Do you remember? This sport tends to make your mind a little foggy. I'll, I'll refresh your memory. You saw Clemson, according to a lot of you, luck up and end up beating Syracuse, 27-21. to 21. A lot of you think that that was referee-aided. I don't care, because I see horrific officiating all over this great land of ours every week. So you benefit from it one week, they may get jilted by it this weekend. Cade Klubnik replaced DJ Uyangalale in that game. That was the noteworthy takeaway. And then Dabo afterwards said, DJ's still our leader, he's still our starter, so we have every reason to believe that DJ will start this game. This, in years past, has been the moment where if Clemson's going to end up being a great team and not just a really good team, they start to click. It still very much remains to be seen whether this particular version of Clemson has the ability to climb the final couple of rungs on that ladder. Because I would argue relative to their vintage teams, there's still a couple of notches below that. However, let's also not ignore, there may not be an elite team in college football this year. Uh, we're, we're getting this argument a lot. Like, well, Tennessee's not 2019 LSU. What if you don't have to be that good to win the title this year? Well, this Bama team's not even close to their 2017 or 2020 version of themselves. What if you don't have to be that good to win a title this year? And likewise with Clemson. Boy, that Trevor Lawrence version would shred this Clemson team. What if you don't have to be that good? Who knows? Who's elite right now? I know what the top five look like. Which one of them's elite? So keep that in mind as we ask ourselves how much better Clemson has to get. First thing they got to do is win this game, though. Because if they lose, it doesn't look like, at the moment, it doesn't look like the path is all that great for them to be in the playoff. Here's the billion-dollar question in this game. Where does Notre Dame find enough offense? Lines three and a half? That's great. But where do they find the offense? Clemson defensively, they're top 10 in like most every major statistical category. Rush yards per attempt, rushing touchdowns allowed though. They shut you down on the ground and doubly especially shut you down if you can't threaten them through the air. This reeks to me of like the NC State game 2.0. Actually, NC State was probably a little better at quarterback than Notre Dame is with Drew Pine, and we saw what happened to NC State. So Drew Pine, his last three starts, you see that number, 49% completion percentage. That's good for 125 in FBS. It's just not going to work against Clemson. So I'm not saying there's not a path. I'm just saying, as I always say, if you can bring me a model that forecasts things like your average starting field position being plus 15 yards better than your average, or you being plus three turnovers and you scoring twice on special teams, that sort of thing would greatly help me. I don't think you can forecast that. And so outside of that, I just don't know where they find the offense. I mean, Clemson could put up like 23 points here and be good to go because I don't know where Notre Dame gets the offense. However, weather could be a factor in this game too, but even if it's not, I'm thinking about where the mentality is with that Clemson team right now. And the last thing you saw is your quarterback sort of, sort of losing a little bit, and you had to put in the backup, 
And so you go into a bye week. Hopefully you got it all cleaned up. You come out of the bye week. You're facing a pretty good defensive unit here in Notre Dame. Stiff challenge on the road. The total in this game is in the mid-40s for a reason. If you don't have early success and you go into a shell and you refuse to be aggressive, they can, they can win. Because you insert so much variance at that point into the game. You're not letting your talent take over. And as a result, you limit both teams' possessions. And at that point, one bounce of the ball is disproportionately more likely to beat you. Notre Dame may not hit you for six or seven plays of 20-plus yards, but if you make it that kind of game, one or two of those plays could end up beating you. And it's not 1927. Anyone can hit one or two of those plays. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. Clemson minus three and a half in the Vegas market right now. Pretty consensus. The model leans Clemson at minus five and a half. And look, I got to absent some more data. Roll with the model here. I like Clemson to win. I don't think they're going to pull away necessarily. Or if they do, I think it looks something like 24 to three. Uh, but I think they're going to do enough to win. And I also think they're going to cover. Because I just don't know where the offense comes from for Notre Dame. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's open the mailbag for just a second. I want to let you know they're watching us in Albertville, Alabama. I believe is home to an extremely wealthy Auburn booster. Big in the lumber market. Uh, Edmonds, Washington is watching. Richmond, Virginia is also tuned in. I appreciate you guys. Let's go into the mailbag. Looking really forward to getting back to Georgia tomorrow, or as I like to call it, home. Daniel asked, do Georgia fans understand that if they lose this game against Tennessee, they lose their shot at a national championship from Conway, South Carolina? First question, do we all believe that's true? Do Maybe some of you haven't thought about it, and that's a little shock to the senses. 
Well, let's think about it. That's what we're here for. It's Thursday night. We got a little time. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Georgia has to win against Tennessee or they're just out of the playoff? That's the way we normally talk about Clemson since we just predicted their game this week. Because normally Clemson has a pretty relatively weak strength of schedule and it's just assumed they need to go undefeated to make it in and they do a lot of the time. Well, Georgia could be in that boat right now. Let's take a look at the schedule here. They got the Oregon win, which looks extremely impressive in week one, and then a whole lot of nothing as it relates to what the committee would think. And then they got Tennessee this week. If they lose against Tennessee at home, you got Mississippi State, Kentucky, Georgia Tech. Your problem is you would need Tennessee to lose twice if you're going to make it to Atlanta. So let's just ask ourselves, what are the paths here? Because I think it's a pretty worthwhile question to discuss. And we're in November now, so we're not too far away from this. The case for a one-loss Georgia, if Georgia loses this weekend, that's the premise, what are the cases for them making the playoff? Well, the first one is somehow they still win the SEC East, they go to Atlanta, they win the SEC title. That's virtually impossible because Tennessee would have to lose two games from Missouri, South Carolina, and Vandy, which is just not happening. So absent that, we then have to ask ourselves, Let's say Georgia finish. First off, they got to go the rest of the way undefeated. Okay, let's just, for argument's sake, assume they do. They lose to Tennessee, but they go undefeated the rest of the way. They're 11 and 1. They're just sitting at home. They don't go to Atlanta. At that point, we have to take the college football rankings and we, or the college football playoff rankings, and we have to ask ourselves which teams are in above a one loss non SEC champion Georgia. And the answer is pretty clearly. If Clemson goes 12-0 in the ACC, and they're the champion, they're in. If TCU goes 12-0 in the Big 12, they win the conference, I believe they're in. If Ohio State or Michigan run the table, they win the Big 10, they're in. The follow-up question is, what does the committee do with a one-loss Ohio State that's in Georgia's shoes? They don't go to their own conference title game. Or Michigan, one-loss Michigan, doesn't go to the Big 10 title game. How do they compare? That's where that Oregon win could be very, very important. In the SEC, though, here's the disaster scenario for Georgia. The disaster scenario is Alabama runs through the rest of their slate. Bama goes to Atlanta, and they beat Tennessee in a rematch. Because at that point, the committee's taking Bama, and they're far more likely to take Tennessee over you. So, And they're certainly not taking three SEC teams. So that would be bad. So you need to root against Bama. If Tennessee beats you, you need to pull for Tennessee to win by a million the rest of the way, and you need to grab onto their coattails. What a world we would be living in where we're using language like Georgia needs to hold on to Tennessee's coattails. That seems so, so far away as even a remote possibility at the beginning of this year. So the Pac-12 is the other one I want to look at. A USC that's a one-loss Pac-12 champ. There are certain portions of this country. And I'm not so sure some of those portions aren't on the playoff committee that would be frothing at the mouth to put that USC team in there. I think we all know that. The Oregon, even though Oregon's ranked higher than USC right now, it, it may be, I could be wrong here, it may be a little tougher, only because if Oregon's a one-loss Pac-12 champ and that committee looks and they say to themselves, we think a one-loss Pac-12 champ is equivalent with a one-loss non-SEC champ Georgia, then you got the head-to-head -head thing, which goes against Oregon. Here's my counter. 
I was asking Jesse this. I don't traffic in the playoff rankings a lot. You guys know I truly don't care about this stuff. So my question is, the head-to-head's only supposed to matter as a tiebreaker, right? So if we were to get in this hypothetical world where Oregon wins the Pac-12 championship, therefore they are a conference champ, and you're comparing them to Georgia, which is a non-conference champ, the only way that Oregon, having lost to Georgia, is even supposed to enter into the equation is if the committee says, okay, we view those two as equal. But Georgia's strength of schedule is not strong enough to vault them up to the same status as the committee would tell you a conference champ exists at. And so if that doesn't elevate Georgia to being equivalent in their mind's eye with a one-loss Pac-12 champ, it's irrelevant whether they beat them head-to-head. The only way that head-to-head ends up mattering is if the committee says, okay, Pac-12 champ Oregon, one-loss Georgia here, they didn't win their conference, we still think they're equal. At that point, Georgia goes ahead of an Oregon because they got the head-to-head. So it it gets really convoluted there. I don't think, to answer the question, I don't think a lot of people have thought about this because I think, well, most Georgia fans assume that they'll win this weekend. And therefore, they haven't let their mind really go there. They've maybe discussed it or they've maybe considered it. I don't think they've embraced it. And they shouldn't. They should expect to win. But if we do have that, that would be, it would be really the the huge shakeup Maybe the biggest shakeup of the season so far, only because that would be last year's national champ. Some of you would call them defending. I just call them last year's national champ that may be on the outside looking in, and it's one of the big boys from the SEC, and they've only got one loss, and normally you're just afforded that. I'm not against it. Most of the time, your resume suggests that you can afford one loss, but maybe not for Georgia this year. Who knows? Next question. We take a questionable liquid sip from the chalice. Jesse just said in my ear he wants you to like and subscribe, please. And Colin did, too. So what do we have right now? Oh, we can do way better than that. Yeah, uh, please, hit that thumbs up button. I won't scrunch my face because you guys have been doing a great job of that. How about this question? Would Blake hits us up. Should Drake May be a Heisman finalist? If not, what else does he have to do? To prove he should be. Drake May is killing it at North Carolina right now. And this was a former Alabama commit that decommitted, committed to North Carolina. We made a big deal about it at that point on the show when we were still down in Brentwood. And for good reason. He's, he's playing lights out right now. He has numbers nearly identical at this point in the year to what Joe Burrow had in 2019 at this point in the year. So his current standings as an individual, I'll talk about the team in a second, his current standings in the Heisman sort of odds hierarchy, he's anywhere from like plus 2,000 to plus 4,000, depending on where you look. So right here, this is via Caesars. He's plus 2,000. You can go to other places. Like if you wanted to bet him, I wouldn't bet the Caesars number. I'd go find the highest number I could. The point is, here are the guys that would be listed ahead of him. Hendon Hooker's the favorite right now. CJ Stroud at Ohio State. Uh, Blake Corum, the running back there at Michigan. Caleb Williams, quarterback there at USC. I I said this the other day, and I'm going to reiterate it. Hendon Hooker's the leader in the clubhouse right now. I think he should be. There are two guys, two guys I think could make a really big move in the Heisman odds market in the month of November. And one of them is Drake May, and one of them is Caleb Williams. 
because you got to picture it in your mind. You got to picture the scenario that would have to unfold. With Drake May, right now he's already known, but not really nationally. But what if, just follow me here, what if all of a sudden November consisted of them continuing to be a one loss team? They are the favorite right now to face Clemson in the ACC title game. What if they went to the ACC title game and he's the one that ended up being the magic elixir? He's the one that kind of was able to, to break through that impenetrable Clemson defense and he hangs like 35 or 42 on him and they win the ACC championship. And that's the last thing you see from him this year, the day before your ballot is due. Likewise, what if Caleb Williams' November consists of USC continuing to march towards Pac-12 championship? They beat UCLA in the process. They go to the Pac-12 championship game. Maybe they beat Oregon or whoever the North, or actually it would just be whoever the Pac-12 sends. It's not a division thing out there anymore. And that's the last thing you see from him. They play on a Friday night, by the way. So they've got 48 hours between the last time you would see him and the time where the ballots are due. What I'm saying is the odds make sense to me right now, but you've seen before guys make a late charge. And we've some years gone into that conference championship weekend with things still very much undecided. So if we're in that kind of climate, Drake may absolutely, he already should be in the conversation. But if they were to make a charge, either Drake May or Caleb Williams, I think they could do it. I mean, he's got, he being Drake May, Drake May's got five games of five-plus total touchdowns this year. He's a 29-3 to touchdown-to-interception ratio guy. He averages over 330 yards passing per game. He's got the fifth-most passing yards in the country. And North Carolina's 7-1. So absolutely, he should be involved in that discussion. We are Drake May fans on this program. Don't never let anyone tell you otherwise. I didn't have to cough. I'm just really trying to buy time before we get into this next segment. Some nervous energy. You can hear me tapping on the desk right now. The show is at a crossroads. A pure ethics bomb was dropped on us when we least suspected it earlier this week. When I started doing this show, and I suggested it should be year-round, management's first question to me was, how can you just assume the audience is going to be big enough? How can you assume they're going to be there? And I, I knew you'd be there because I know how crazy a big chunk of the college football public is. You're not casuals. You are very much anti-casuals. You are diehard in nature. And when you list your priorities in life, college football, for some of you, doesn't go behind anything and for a lot of you, college football is no further down than two or three on the pecking order. No exceptions. Notice how emphatically I teed it up there, because we have truly only a few rules on this show. Don't lose to food. So that's anyone who's playing rice this week. And no fall weddings on Saturdays. It's really a simple guide with which to live your life by. And I thought that we were really hard and fast on that. I didn't really think there were going to be any exceptions ever, especially to rule number two. Maybe one day Rice becomes a national power, but under no circumstances are we ever going to stand on this show for you scheduling a Saturday wedding in the fall. I was so confident. I was so sure of myself. Really big-chested when, when we're making that proclamation. Colin, put it up, please. Then... Someone who has to remain anonymous comes to me 
with the ethics bomb to end all college football ethics bombs. Quote, Josh, I have a wedding on Saturday. The girl gave me her kidney anonymously. How do I deal with this? I asked for clarification. To be clear, you were the recipient of a kidney from an anonymous organ donor who was then identified and has requested your presence at her wedding Saturday? And that is the case, ladies and gentlemen. So, what do you do? How, how attached are we to our rules on this program? Now, I think immediately everyone says go to the wedding. I don't want you to do this immediately. I want you to sit back and I want you to just think about things. Because the more you think about it, as I found when I put this out on Twitter yesterday, the more questions arise. There are several unanswered questions here. You saw the full exchange. There are several unanswered questions here. The first of which is, you know, is it her first wedding? Like one of you immediately came at me and said, I'll tell you how I would decide if I go to the wedding or not, whether she gave me a kidney or not. Is it her first wedding? If it is, apparently that changes a lot of your minds. I polled you guys on this. In fact, let me bring up the most recent results. I polled you guys on this. We have over 13,000 results on this poll. If someone gives you a kidney anonymously, and then they reveal themselves, and then they say, can you come to my wedding? Oh, by the way, it's on the same Saturday that Tennessee's playing Georgia. Oh, well, are you going to be there? What do you do? 58% of you, frankly, a number a little high for our audience, said they would go to the wedding. Yet still, 42% of you said, I don't care if you gave me a kidney. Organ donation or not, I'm not missing Tennessee, Georgia. I have to reiterate, this is not a joke. This person was dead serious and seeking my sage counsel on this matter. So then I sought the feedback of you guys. And a lot of you just wanted to know flat out, is it her first wedding? That matters to a lot of you. But then our buddy Kevin Clark from The Ringer comes in. And I think he may have brought forth uh, the great compromise of this entire conundrum. And he asked, does she know what he looks like? She knows that she gave her kidney to him, but does she know what he looks like? And Kevin says, if she doesn't know what he looks like, it could be time to bite the bullet and hire a paid actor. Because at that point, what she doesn't know doesn't hurt her. And She's pretty immune to pain because she already gave up a kidney anyway. And so someone, a proxy, if you will, shows up to the wedding in your place. You can't see inside. There's no barcode on the kidney anyway. And all's well that ends well, right? I didn't have a problem with that because I'm me. Uh, but a lot of you did have a problem with that. And you started shaming him. And I'm like, hold up now. Hold on. Let's talk this through. The third kind of most popular form of feedback that we got on this is, uh, Colin, in, in fact, could you put the tweet back up for a second? Maybe some of you noticed this when you were watching the first time. I'm going to reread it for you. There's a very important word here and, and kind of, you know, kind of a clash in what is said versus what is. He said, Josh, I have a wedding on Saturday. The girl gave me her kidney anonymously. How do I deal with this? Well, many of you came forward and said, hold up. If she's anonymous, how in the world do you know her? And then the speculation began. And the speculation 
led to responses like this one. This is a red flag. If she gave you the kidney anonymously, but then only revealed it so that she could be a hero at her own wedding, is that the kind of wedding that we want to attend? And then many follow-ups included things like, did she give you the kidney because she wants you to live or what? Because if you tell her that this is what brings you the most joy in life, why would she want to peel you away from that? What good is the kidney at that point? I'm not saying that I necessarily side with any of these ideologies. I do. I'm just not going to tell you which one. That's not what we're here to do tonight. What we're here to do tonight is celebrate organ donors. I myself am one. We're also here to really, really try and deter anyone from scheduling a Saturday wedding in the fall. But if the person who donates the organ to you schedules a Saturday wedding in the fall and invites you, we're just trying to figure out how to handle it amongst ourselves. We don't need outside counsel. I really think we can circle the wagons, close the gates here, and we can figure this out amongst ourselves. I'm going to let that poll stay up a little while longer, immunity, and I'm going to see if those percentages come down or they go up. Because we, we really got some mainstream traction. It really mainstreamed itself yesterday. It was 50-50 for a while. And, and then some casuals came in, life casuals, and really tried to read far more into it than there really is. So I don't need those votes. But your votes, I'm very interested in. Well, I've never seen anything like this in our comment section. And I get some wild stuff in our comment section. But this guy's got a kidney that he previously did not have from someone whose request in exchange, because apparently we're given organs conditionally now, is I'm giving you the kidney, you come to my wedding, I don't know if there's a repo or a take-back process on major organ donation. Never been there. Hope to never be there. Respect all of you who have been donors. Although, you know, there are questions. I'm just saying there are questions. Let's move on. We've got another game that I wanted to talk about here. Actually, Chris wanted us to talk about it, so I'm going to. Chris asks, thoughts on Florida versus Texas A&M this Saturday? Can't wait to hear what you have to say. Thank you, Chris. No playoff, no problem. There is no playoff spot on the line here, and yet we are perfectly fine looking forward to this game. Now, someone said to me today, ooh, that's a good idea because that's an example of programs maybe about to go in divergent directions. I don't think that. The A&M program, you could say that about because Jimbo's been there five years. Billy Napier, he's been in town less than one year. It's his first season. So I don't think this is an indictment on the Florida program if they were to lose. They're 4-4 four and four right now. They would love to make a bowl, blah, blah, blah. That's what you normally say about a first-year staff. But Jesse had another key number here, and I'm proud of him. Two key numbers in one show. He said 210. That's the key number in this one. I say, tell me more, Jesse. He said, well, rush yards. When Florida rushes for 210 yards or more, they're 4-0. And when they don't, they're 0-4 which is my kind of stat. That is nice and neat. Uh, there is no wiggle room there. You either top 210 or you lose. It's a beautiful thing. Here is the bad news for the home team. A&M is allowing about 237 rush yards per game over the last five games. And most recently, they gave up nearly 400 to Ole Miss. There's a, obviously the line's three and a half in favor of A&M. So yeah, it's a tight game. It's expected to be a tight game. I wonder what kind of effort I'm getting from Florida here. There's been a lot of off-the-field drama. Maybe it's a distraction, maybe it's not. Uh, they dismissed Brenton Cox. I think they dismissed another player. Uh, they just came off a loss to Georgia where they rallied, and then Georgia pulls away again. It's later in the year. I don't know what kind of effort 
I can get from them Saturday. And that's just unknowable. The other part here is A&M's defensive strength aligns perfectly with Florida's offensive weakness. Anthony Richardson has been held under 200 yards passing in five of eight games this year. And A&M limits teams to like 170 yards through the air. So you better be able to run it on them. That's the key. You better be able to run it on them Saturday. Texas A&M also with Connor Wigman, whose name I'm going to start pronouncing correctly from here on out. Thank you guys for straightening me out on that. They looked different last weekend. They still lost, but they had their best offensive showing so far. And if you're going to get Florida, where are you going to get them? You're going to get them through the air. So I think A&M may be poised to have themselves a pretty decent day here through the air. This is a noon Eastern kickoff, by the way, so you don't have to wait very long. Wigman was 28 of 44, four touchdowns, no picks, 338 through the air last week. Can you build on it? Can you build on it? Let's take a look at what the model thinks. The Vegas number is A&M minus three and a half. There is a very strong lean on this game. We will end up betting this game. We're just going to see what the number does. A&M minus three and a half. The model has A&M minus eight and a half. We think it's going to be, it may be A&M's best game of the season. The model thinks a and going to have their best offensive output of the season. The model thinks a and going to have their best game of the season. Uh, we're going to roll with the model. We're going to take a and to win. We're going to take a and to cover. And uh, we will touch on that game again on Friday Night Lines. At Late Kick Josh, by the way. Friday Night Lines on Instagram. You want to make sure you're tuned in for that. Because as many games as I'm about to give you later in this show... We're not even close to done. And we've started hot already. We're 2-0 this week. God bless the Mac. And we will be adding several more. I got one more question before I give you those best bets. I wanted to get to this one. It's a really good question. Nathan hit us up all the way from Jerusalem in Israel. And he said, which team this year has been the most under-the-radar positive story? I'm not limiting this to one. I think the entire state of Kansas, which I just returned from, should be out of their mind thrilled about what's happened this year. Kansas is 5-3 and three right now. They play Oklahoma State this weekend. They're 5-3. and three. Their over-under win total was 2.5. So they passed it, what, by week three, I guess. And they, they beat... Well, first off, they had that string of games where they went to West Virginia and won. They went to Houston and won. They beat Duke. They beat Iowa State. And then they had a back-and-forth game with TCU. That's where they lost the quarterback Daniels and then they had Oklahoma, they had Baylor, but there's, not, there's no blowout in those three back-to-back-to-back losses. And they have Oklahoma State, whose most recent trip to Kansas resulted in a 48 to nothing blanking last week. Who knows? The line's a pick em. Vegas is just saying, close your eyes, take whomstever you want to. Kansas, one of the best stories in America. I think Kansas State, at 6-2 and two right now, also one of the best under-the-radar stories in America. Uh, their overwin total was six and a half. So one more win. They got a month's work of the, worth of games left. One more win. And Chris Kleiman and company, they get over the hump. They also have been as recently as last week without their starting quarterback. And here's what's crazy. Will Howard came in the week before against TCU and played good ball. They lost. He started last week and they just annihilated Oklahoma State. As a short underdog at home, annihilated him. So we, even with all that, I mean, losing your quarterback, your over-under win total six and a half. They're sitting here six and two. The state of Kansas, that's been the place to be for football this year. What about Ole Miss? 
yours truly here had the under at seven and a half. Now, technically, I guess I'm still alive because they're seven and one. Um, Ole Miss has looked pretty good this year. I mean, we, we got to be real. There is this sizable contingent of the Ole Miss fan base that thinks I'm anti-Ole Miss. At this point, I don't fight it. It's not true, but at this point, I don't fight it because they have, they have hardened their stance one way or the other on this. Quinshawn Judkins has been one of the best stories in America. You won't, have to, you won't have to look too far in award season to see his name come up. And how about the offensive shift? When they lost Jeff Levy to Oklahoma, a lot of people, and when I say people, I mean people I talk to, coaches, pointed to Oxford and they said, watch how much Lane struggles this year. Because they didn't think that, they did not think Jackson Dart was going to be the answer, and they didn't think Altmaier was good enough to do what Kiffin wanted to do offensively. Well, they just started running the ball all over people. And they've done it. Like almost every game this year, they, they fell well off of their usual pace against LSU. But other than that, like I said, they just ran it for 390 on A&M. They ran it over 400 on Auburn. It's been impressive. And they're sitting at 7-1 and one right now. And their destiny is still totally in their hands. They got Bama coming in there next week. They're on a bye right now. So they got Bama next week. What about UCLA? UCLA 7-1. Their over-under win total is 8.5 because they won eight games last year. But before that, leading up to last year, 3-9, and 4-8, 3-4 in the COVID year. Then they won eight games last year. And this was the year where we were talking about them a lot in the preseason, but not a whole lot of other people were. Pac-12 Pate. And when you looked up and down the West Coast and you knew Oregon was going to get a new coaching staff and you knew USC was getting a new coaching staff, you knew that you had Utah at home, it set up perfectly. Part of that point is irrelevant now because they faced that new coaching staff at Oregon and lost. They still have to face USC, but they beat Utah at home and they're sitting here right now seven and one and they go to Arizona State this week. Then they got Arizona then they got Southern Cal, then they go to Cal. Still very much in the Pac-12 championship race, still hold their destiny in their hands. Syracuse is 6-2. and two. Their over-under preseason win total was 5. So they've already hit the over. They smoked Louisville to start the year. They beat Purdue, they beat NC State, and then they got close losses to Clemson and, uh, uh, well, a less close loss to Notre Dame. But it's almost like recalibration of expectation. You never would have expected to be competitive in either one of those games. You're 6-2 and two right now, and they've got, they've got an interesting lineup of games here. They go to Pitt, they got Florida State at home, they go to Wake, and then they got at Boston College. If they don't win another game, they're bowl eligible. And if they don't win another game, they have already overachieved this year. And the last one I wanted to talk about was TCU. They're not under the radar anymore, I guess. I just still wanted to talk about them. Their over-under preseason win total was 6.5. New head coach? And Sonny Dykes, and they're 8-0 right now. You got Max Duggan, Sonny Dykes, and, and obviously Quentin Johnson, who's in like every highlight that we show of TCU. So Kansas, Kansas State, Ole Miss, UCLA, Syracuse, TCU. Those are the teams I circle. Uh, those have been some really, really good stories. All right, best bet time. I feel good because we're already 2-0, and that's what the mat can do to you. Yeah, Steve Winwood had that song called Don't You Know What the Night Can Do? The follow-up from us is don't you know what the MAC can do. The MAC has already hit on us twice. Ohio plus three, cash it. Western Michigan plus four and a half, cash it. The other games we're on this week, Texas Tech plus 10. That number's already down to eight and a half. 
We've got Nebraska plus 16. Vatek minus three. Oregon State plus three and a half. Here are the new games. We are jumping on Charlotte plus 16. We are jumping on Tulsa plus seven and a half. So those are the games we're adding. Tulsa plus seven and a half. Charlotte plus 16. I cannot stress in strong enough terms. Those are already eight games. Two of them have hit. So we still got six of them in play. I'm adding at least four or five more tomorrow night on Friday Night Lines. It is imperative. Make sure you're following at Lake Kick Josh, Twitter and Instagram. And before you leave, make sure you like the video and make sure you subscribe. Uh, those of you who listen on podcast, just another reminder, when I say subscribe in your world, that would just mean click on that button that says follow. It's the same thing and it helps us out a ton. It, it doesn't affect you a second after you hit that button. It's done, you forget about it, but it helps us. So I appreciate you guys looking very forward to getting down to Athens, Georgia tomorrow and we'll be there for the game Saturday. We'll see a lot of you guys until then. We'll be back here Sunday night, same time. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. Take care, enjoy this weekend. We'll talk about it Sunday night. Until then, God bless. You.